I'm Dan Kendall, and you're listening to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. Did you know that this is just one of the many shows that we create? In fact, from original podcasts like this one, to patient and professional educational content, to digital marketing, and even podcast advertising, we do a lot more than simply host conversations. We're mission-based media. Visit our website to learn more at missionbasedmedia.com. Welcome to Digital Health Today, Asia-Pacific Edition, your go-to podcast to learn about the transformation of healthcare in a region with over 4.5 billion people across more than 40 countries. I'm your host, Tony Estrella. For those of you who are new to this podcast, this episode marks the start of Season 2 of this series. In Season 1, my guests provided an informative overview of the overall digital health landscape in Asia-Pacific, including population health, value-based care, scaling a startup from inception to a unicorn, and how critical stakeholders such as insurance and pharma view the opportunities for digital health. In Season 2, we're going deep into challenges. In each episode of this season, we'll hear from a guest expert who will paint the picture of a big challenge where technology is a critical part of the transformation of healthcare. And to no surprise, almost all of my guests will talk about the importance of an ecosystem including public health, to achieve scale and success. Today, I'd like to introduce Jeremy Lim, the CEO of Amelie. Jeremy wears many other hats, as a leading academic mind in public policy in Southeast Asia, a mentor for corporate innovators and startup entrepreneurs, and an instigator for pushing towards a future with precision public health as the norm for health systems across Asia Pacific. Our focus today, though, is on microbiomes. So Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tony. And as always, a delight to speak to you. Yes, uh, you're one of my favorite people to talk to in Singapore around health. (laughs) Likewise, likewise, my friend. Yeah, I've asked several people to tell me who's the one go-to person you have, not in Singapore, but in Asia Pacific, if you want to learn more about healthcare. And your name has come up almost exclusively. Tony, that is so flattering. Oh dear, then this podcast can only disappoint, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) I think we'll be fine. So you took on this challenge of becoming CEO of Amelie in the last 18 months. Tell us first this context. What motivated you to decide to bring the founding team together and why this particular area? Emily's story really started back in 2013, 2014, when my co-founder, David, who's the head of gastroenterology at the National University Hospital, did the first series of gut microbiome transplants in this part of the world. They were very successful, but for various reasons, the program in Singapore and around the region didn't really take off. And during these intervening years, interest in gut microbiome science and the insights that were being generated really exploded in the West with the Human Gut Microbiome Project. And we really felt that it was so important that because the gut microbiome is driven primarily by diet and by the environment, that we in Asia, with a different lifestyle, with different dietary habits, really needed to do our own research find our own insights and discover what works for us living here in Asia. So whether you're Chinese, Malay, Caucasian, or otherwise, if you are living in Asia, you're eating Asian foods, then we need to know how the microbiome impacts us in both health as well as specific disease states. And that was the genesis for us founding Emily. 
because the science was just too exciting, was too compelling, this opportunity to impact on health, not just at the individual level, but at the population level. And we knew we had to find answers, not in Boston, not in Cambridge, but right here in Asia. And so Emily was born in September 2019. So take us a step back here. Why is it that in thinking about the healthcare system and improving the lives of individuals that we should care about microbiome? Is this just equivalent to better nutrition? Well, Tony, the gut microbiome has really come into the spotlight with the convergence of a ever-lowering cost of sequencing and ever-expanding depth and also the phenomenal gains in computing power. So it's almost like von Leeuwenhoek looking at pond water through a light microscope for the first time and discovering that water is not just water, it's teeming with life. And if we look at the gut microbiome through a similar lens, I'm so struck that when I was in medical school 30 years ago, we were told that the gut microbiome was were just a bunch of commensals uh, and it didn't even merit uh, more than two or three lines in any standard textbook. But with these advances that I had alluded to earlier, we now realize that the microbiome is so important in so many areas and the three that are really prime time are in immune function, in metabolism, and lastly, in the gut-brain axis. And in fact, some interesting trivia, 90% of serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter, is actually produced by or influenced by the gut rather than by the brain. And there have been numerous studies done that really suggest that by changing one's microbiome, one can alter one's mood, symptoms of autism, depression, and even Parkinson's. And there are multiple clinical trials that are going on to decipher this very interesting observation. In the space of immune function, we've always known that the microbiome is important, but we never knew quite how important until a study that came out at the start of this year, really fascinating study where patients who were on salvage therapy, they had an advanced cancer that was unresponsive to all the therapies and really they would have been told that, guys, this is the end of the rope. And what was done was that these patients were unresponsive to the therapy. They then received microbiome transplants from patients with the same disease, but had responded to immune therapies. And lo and behold, one third of the patients then switched from non-responders to become responders. And this is so exciting because it really opens up an avenue into how can we intervene more to enable more patients to benefit from immune priming and the use of the immune system to combat diseases such as cancer. So then we're talking about ultimately a reinvention of how to look at medicine and how to look at the role of someone's entire body and how it reacts. So this notion of everybody has a different response to medication is that where microbiome fits in? It's an explanation for why we each have that individualized response? Tony, that's a really good question. I think that the microbiome will be part of the personalization that is becoming a such a strong trend within healthcare. If we look at the precision medicine movement, it really represents the failure of one size fits all. And the recognition that we as medical professionals, we as scientists have always known that most of our medicines don't work for everyone. And in fact, we'll be lucky if any medicine works for more than half the population that is intended for. So there's clearly something more. 
the first wave in the precision medicine movement was around genetics. And there was the hope that by understanding the human genome, we would then be able to much more accurately um, target medicines. But this promise has not been realized fully. In fact, there are still relatively few diseases for which there is a genetic solution. But as the science progressed, we then realized that the microbes that live in and around us are also very important. And also that just because a person has a gene doesn't mean that the gene is going to be expressed in the way that we expect it to. And now, to put it simply, we are living in a multi-omics world. So it's the genomics, it's the epigenetics, it's the microbiome, and all these will fit in to allow us to be much more precise and choose the best intervention for the patient as is characterized by the individual's uh, health state, genetics, microbiome, and so on and so forth. And that's really very exciting. But I see the microbiome as being so much more than that because it is one of the major fields where we can actually modify. In today's reality, most of us cannot have our human genomes modified. The ethical challenges, the technical challenges are phenomenal. But when it comes to the gut microbiome, every other week there is a major study coming out that really shows the relationship between certain strains of bacteria and other microbes that are linked to improve cardiovascular health, to improve memory, energy, and really so on. So by changing our diet, by changing our lifestyles, we can modify the microbiome and hence optimize our own health. As individual clinicians, all the way through to public health systems, awaken to the notion of the importance of microbiome, where's the starting point? How does an individual or a health system start to shift? Because this could be extremely transformational, but it could also come with a cost. When you sit with colleagues, what advice do you give them? I think the first realization is that when we eat, we feed not just ourselves, but we feed our microbes. And imagine them as an ecosystem of different strains and different consortia. When we feed them the right stuff, the good bacteria proliferate and the bad bacteria are then suppressed. And the metabolites or the substances that the good bacteria produce can pass through the gut membrane into the bloodstream and this then causes the positive effects. So the first principle is to recognize that when we eat, we feed ourselves and we feed our microbes. Then the next actionable point is what then do we eat? And in an ideal world, all of us should be personalized. We should have our microbiomes profiled together with our genetics and so on. And then we'll know much more accurately what we need to do. But thankfully, even before this stage, there are certain rules that are getting more and more universal such as eat whole foods, eat more plant-based diets, eat as little processed food as you can because the evidence is really overwhelming that high fiber, a varied diet of whole foods and especially green leafy vegetables are very good for your microbiome and very good for you. So I would see us moving from really rules for the population to becoming more and more specific to the subpopulations. If you have a particular trait, like an ethnicity or particular disease, then these are the foods or the probiotics that are more amenable to optimizing your health and so on. So from an education perspective, the first guideline would be start with this notion of a set of better food that can apply to everybody. So just a general behavior change. But then the triage of starting to get more sophisticated about microbiome is once you've gotten your own individual microbiome tested, then start following those guidelines because then that's specific to you. 
Yes. And see how the microbiome changes over time. Because a good thing about the microbiome is that it's modifiable. What this then means is that it becomes a useful biomarker. So beyond just feeling better, beyond knowing that you're doing the right thing, one can objectively look at differences in the microbiome profiles to know whether you're reducing your risk of certain diseases, whether you're optimizing your health. And I think that's very important in this day and age where we all want data. We want to do something and we want to know that we're doing something right. We've been in healthcare long enough to know that trying to change behavior can be a personal mission in and of itself. And (laughs) we're talking about this now in one of the big three, right? Nutrition, exercise, sleep. How difficult have you found it to be to have not just a conversation, but then to see people start changing their behavior, either as a provider and their patients or directly speaking to individuals? Well, Tony... You've hit on the, not just the billion dollar, but it's the trillion dollar question. How do we nudge people into the right behaviors? And I would say that honestly, the type that are intrinsically motivated, that step forward to have their microbiome sequence, to check their body compositions, and these are the minority. And for these guys, information is sufficient. Once they know what the right thing to do is, they will do it. And they'll track themselves religiously to make sure that they're on the straight and narrow. The much larger group would be those who say, I want to do the right thing, but it's got to be easy. How then do we make it easy to do the right thing? So the diet that we had described around whole foods, plant-based and so on, these are not straightforward diets to follow and to adhere to over the long term. So increasingly, we as a company are also looking at how to work with probiotic manufacturers to make it easy to do the right thing. And once people start to see the benefits, they start to say, wow, I'm starting to feel better. I've got more energy. We then have that trust and that relationship and that rapport. We can then say, actually, you can go further. It's not just popping a pill every morning, but by making these changes in your lifestyle, you can gain even more benefit. And that's the sort of step ladder change that I see us as a company, being able to work with partners to help our patients and our customers to live the best lives that they can. And I guess that for another group of the population that will never really bother, can we then intervene upstream? I work with food manufacturers on how to make the foods that they produce, whether it's processed foods, whether it is freshly prepared foods, so that they are gut health friendly. And often people, including manufacturers, want to do the right thing, but it has to make sense for them commercially, scientifically, and also ethically. And we certainly hope that we as Emily will be part of this solution and more broadly that manufacturers and food retailers start to look at gut health as a very important thing beyond flavor and price. Let's get further into benefits. So in the ideal sense, using sleep as an analogy, if I'm going from terrible sleep to good sleep, I will immediately feel the benefits of it because I feel more rested, I'm more alert, cognitively I'm more aware, better problem solving. If I've started to shift my diet and are now focusing on probiotics, eating whole grain food, even starting to eat more specific food to me, how will I start to feel? Will I physically feel different over time? The short answer is yes. And I would subdivide this into both the subjective measures and the objective measures. What we have found is that people who have been very disciplined almost immediately start to feel, as you rightly pointed out, Tony, more energy, they're more alert, they function better. And 
they then want to do more. On the objective side, we look at parameters such as your weight, body mass index, performance metrics like running speed, the amount of weight one can bench press and really so on. And as well as the uh, biochemical measures like lipid profiles, glucose and all. So the nice thing is that if we can tackle diet, activity, sleep, stress and minimize our risk factors, all of us can lead much, much healthier lives. And we certainly hope that the microbiome and the insights that it provides can be part of this solution for the individuals. So it sounds like it's possible then for those who are quantified minded, who like data can get that because they can look at those objective metrics. Those who may be driven by just general happiness and energy, that group can also be satisfied here. So it sounds like a couple of good paths. Yes. And we see that we have three routes to make a public health impact. The first is to work with a highly motivated, and that's the full works around uh, microbiome sequencing regularly to understand how to keep hacking their health to really optimize. For the second group that are motivated by less so, it'll be a simple solution, a personalized uh, supplement that is based on your microbiome profile, based on your health status that can then relatively easy to do the right thing, just pop a pill every morning. And at the population health level, we then work with food manufacturers, we work with retailers to then design foods and the ingredients to make sure that they're as gut health friendly as they can possibly be. And is it ever too late or too early to start? Like I'm a parent of a six-year-old and I know people who are caregivers for their elderly parents at home. Is there an ideal time to do this or can it apply it across all age groups? There is no better time than today. The science is very strong. The early interventions matter a lot. And the scientific world is now increasingly honing down on the first 1,000 days. And this describes increasingly the preconception phase where the mother and the father optimize their own health and make sure that the pregnancy is as uneventful as as optimized as is possible. And we do know, at least from the microbiome perspective, that a baby's first microbiome is introduced through one's mother. So an optimized mother gives the child the best possible start. And after that, really, the ground rules of minimal processed foods, uh, have as much breast milk and be exposed to the good strains is really the right thing to do. Because once we set the child up for a good start in life, this really has a multiplicative effect throughout life. But it's never too late to start. And individuals who in their 50s and their 60s who then start to change their diets really start to see the improvements. As what I'm sure, Tony, you've seen amongst many of really our friends who have had this epiphany late in life. And at the age of 50, 55, are running marathons and, and really so on. And these are things that they couldn't do when they were 18 or in their 20s. Yeah, and it's you know fantastic to see when people start achieving that level of personal satisfaction and being able to do things that they might have viewed as impossible simply by changing the way that they eat and how their body starts to really become more efficient. Absolutely. Yeah. We're coming up on time here. This has been extremely helpful. Thank you for educating us on what a microbiome is and how important and relevant it is. Can you tell us a bit more around what are some of the ways that people can learn more? What are initiatives or programs that people should engage and immerse themselves in if they want to really receive the benefits from microbiome? Well, Tony, 
we do recognize that the microbiome is a relatively new concept here in Asia. And as alluded to, um, many medical professionals are not familiar with the microbiome. So for us as Emily, despite being a young startup, we do see that we have a responsibility to educate. So we invest some of our resources into public education, into awareness, working with partners and educating medical professionals and so on about what the microbiome is. We certainly want to have our own website to be part of first call for people who want to know more about the microbiome. And we'll then regularly populate our own website, various social media channels with the latest research findings about the microbiome. And there are a number of different websites that are devoted to the microbiome that we've been looking at very closely and they're very credible. And some multinational large scientific organizations also have thriving microbiome programs. And I'm happy to provide you with the links to them subsequently. Great. We'll put all those links in the show notes. And of course, people can also reach out to you through LinkedIn. Absolutely. So thank you so much for your time, Jeremy. As always, it's a pleasure talking with you. Likewise. Thank you, Tony. And that's a wrap on this episode. Before I go, here's how you, our audience, can support us. Please share this podcast with others. And if you subscribe or follow, you'll get updates on new episodes and other content. You can also email me at apac at digitalhealthtoday.com if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes. Through my website, www.toniestrella.com, you can learn more about both my fiction writing and healthcare writing and other podcasts that I host. You can also look for me on Clubhouse, Twitter, WeChat, and LinkedIn. And finally, please visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com to hear other episodes from our podcasting team and my earlier episodes, including season one. This show was researched and written by Taliosa and produced along with Mission Based Media. The sound and music was by Ivan Yurich. And until next time, I'm Tony Estrella, and thank you for listening. Hey, Dan Kendall here. Thanks for tuning in to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. This episode may be over, but there's plenty more where this came from. Just visit our website to find other great shows featuring digital health leaders and innovators. Find us at digitalhealthtoday.com. That's digitalhealthtoday.com.